section twenty two of celebrated travels and travellers volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org recording by abai in january two thousand fifteen celebrated travels and travellers volume three the great explorers and travellers of the nineteenth century by jules verne second part chapter one voyages round the world and polar expeditions three three years had passed since this event and the men from the caroline islands thanks to their more extended knowledge soon acquired a certain ascendancy over their hosts when the rurik appeared kadu was in the woods a long way from the coast he was sent for at once as he was looked upon as a great traveller and he might perhaps be able to say what the great monster approaching the island was now kadu had more than once seen european vessels and he persuaded his friends to go and meet the strangers and to receive them kindly such had been kadu's adventures he now remained on the rurik identified the other islands of the archipelago and lost no time in facilitating intercourse between the russians and the natives dressed in a yellow mantle and wearing a red cap like a convict kadu looked down upon his old friends and seemed not to recognize them when a fine old man with a flowing beard named Tigedien came on board, Kadu undertook to explain to him and his companions the workings of the vessel and the use of everything about the ship. Like many Europeans, he made up for his ignorance by imperturbable assurance and had an answer ready for every question interrogated on the subject of a little box from which a sailor took a black powder and applied it to his nostrils kadu glibly told some most extraordinary stories and wound up with a practical illustration by putting the box against his own nose he then flung it from him sneezing violently and screaming so loud that his terrified friends fled away on every side but when the crisis was over he managed to turn the incident to his own advantage kadu gave kotzebue some general information about the group of islands then under examination and the russians spent a month in taking surveys etc all these islands which the natives call radak were under the control of one tamon a man named lamari a few years later dumont d'urville gave the name of marshall to the group according to kadu another chain of islets atolls and reefs was situated some little distance off on the west kotzebue had no time to identify them and steering in the northerly direction he reached unalashka on the twenty fourth of april where he had to repair the serious damage sustained by the rurik in two violent storms this done he took on board some baidares boats cased in skins to make them water-tight with fifteen natives of the Aleutian islands who were used to the navigation of the polar seas and resumed his exploration of bering strait 
Kotzebue had suffered very much from pain in his chest ever since when, doubling Cape Horn, he had been knocked down by a huge wave and flung overboard, an accident which would have cost him his life had he not clung to some rope. The consequences were so serious to his health that when, on the 10th of July, he landed on the island of St. Lawrence, he was obliged to give up the further prosecution of his researches. On the 1st of October, the Rurik made a second short halt at the Sandwich Islands where seeds and animals were landed, and at the end of the month the explorers landed at Ottia in the midst of the enthusiastic acclamations of the natives. The cats brought by the visitors were welcomed with special enthusiasm, for the island was infested with immense numbers of rats who worked havoc on the plantations. Great also was the rejoicing over the return of Kadu, with whom the Russians left an assortment of tools and weapons, which made their owner the wealthiest inhabitant of the archipelago. On the 4th November, the Rurik left the Radak Islands after identifying the Legieb group and cast anchor of Guam, one of the Marianne Islands, where she remained until the end of the month. A halt of some weeks at Manila enabled the commander to collect some curious information about the Philippine Islands to which he would have to return later. After escaping from the violent storms encountered in doubling the Cape of Good Hope, the Rurik cast anchor on the 3rd of August, 1818, in the Neva, opposite Count Romantsov's palace. These three years of absence had been turned to good account by the hardy navigators. In spite of the smallness of their number and the poverty of their equipments, they had not been afraid to face the terrors of the deep, to venture amongst all but unknown archipelagos, or to brave the rigours of the Arctic and torrid zones. Important as were their actual discoveries, their rectification of the errors of their predecessors were of yet greater value. 2,500 species of plants, one-third of which were quite new, with numerous details respecting the language, ethnography, religion, and custom of the tribes visited, formed a rich harvest attesting the zeal, skill, and knowledge of the captain, as well as the intrepidity and endurance of his crew. When, therefore, the Russian government decided in 1823 to send reinforcements to Kamchatka to put an end to the contraband trade carried on in Russian America, the command of the expedition was given to Kotzebue. A frigate called the Predpriatie was placed at his disposal, and he was left free to choose his own route, both going and returning. Kotzebue had gone round the world as a midshipman with Kotzenstern, and that explorer now entrusted to him his eldest son, as did also Möller, the minister of marine, a proof of the great confidence both fathers placed in him. The expedition left Kronstadt on the 15th of August, 1823, reached Rio Janeiro in safety, doubled Cape Horn on the 15th January, 1824, and steered for the Pomotu archipelago, where Predpriatie Island was discovered, and the islands of Arakcheyevs, Romantsov, Karlshof, and Palisa were identified. On the 14th March, anchor was cast in the harbour of Matavar, Otaheite. 
since cook's stay in this archipelago a complete transformation had taken place in the manners and customs of the inhabitants in seventeen ninety nine some missionaries settled in otaheite where they remained for ten years unfortunately without making a single conversion and we add with regret without even winning the esteem or respect of the natives compelled at the end of these ten years in consequence of the revolutions which convulsed otaheite to take refuge at emio and other islands of the same group their efforts were then crowned with more success in eighteen seventy pomare king of otaheite recalled the missionaries made them a grant of land and declared himself a convert to christianity his example was soon followed by a considerable number of natives kotzebue had heard of this change but he was not prepared to find european customs generally adopted at the sound of the discharge announcing the arrival of the russians a boat bearing the otahetian flag put off from shore bringing a pilot to guide the predpriatie to his anchorage the next day which happened to be sunday the russians were surprised at the religious silence which prevailed throughout the island when they landed this silence was only broken by the sound of canticles and psalms sung by the natives in their huts the church a plain clean building of rectangular form roofed with reeds and approached by a long avenue of palms was well filled with an attentive orderly congregation the men sitting on one side the women on the other all with prayer-books in their hands the voices of the neophytes often joined in the chant of the missionaries unfortunately with better will than correctness or appropriateness if the piety of the islanders was edifying the costumes worn by these strange converts were such as somewhat to distract the attention of the visitors a black coat or the waistcoat of an english uniform was the only garment worn by some whilst others contented themselves with a jacket a shirt or a pair of trousers the most fortunate were wrapped in cloth mantles and rich and poor alike dispensed with shoes and stockings the women were no less grotesquely clad some wore men's shirts white or striped as the case might be others a mere piece of cloth but all had european hats the wives of the arewa wore coloured robes a piece of great extravagance but with them the dress formed the whole costume on the monday a most imposing ceremony took place this was the visit to kotzebue of the queen mother and the royal family these great people were preceded by a master of ceremonies who was a sort of court fool wearing nothing but a red waistcoat and with his legs tattooed to represent striped trousers whilst on the lower portion of his back was described a quadrant divided into minute sections he performed his absurd capers contortions and grimaces with a gravity infinitely amusing the queen regent carried the little king pomare the third in her arms and beside her walked his sister a pretty child of ten years old the royal infant was dressed in european style like his subjects and like them he wore nothing on his feet at the request of the ministers and great people of otaheite 
Kotzebue had a pair of boots made for him, which he was to wear on the day of his coronation. Great were the shouts of joy, the gestures of delight, and the envious exclamations over the trifles distributed among the ladies of the court, and fierce were the struggles for the smallest shreds of the imitation gold lace given away. What important matter could have brought so many men onto the deck of the frigate, bearing with them quantities of fruits and figs? These eager messengers were the husbands of the disappointed ladies of Otahete, who had not been present at the division of the gold lace more valuable in their eyes than rivers of diamonds in those of Europeans. At the end of ten days, Kotzebue decided to leave this strange country, where civilization and barbarism flourished side by side in a manner so fraternal, and steered for the Samoa archipelago, notorious for the massacre of the companions of La Perouse. How great was the difference between the Samoans and the Otahetians! Wild and fierce, suspicious and threatening, the natives of Rose Island could scarcely be kept off the deck of the Predpriatie, and one of them at the sight of the bare arm of a sailor made a savage and eloquent gesture showing with what pleasure he could devour the firm and doubtless savoury flesh displayed to view. The insolence of the natives increased with the arrival of more canoes from the shore, and they had to be beaten back with boat-hooks before the Predpriatie could get away from amongst the frail boats of the ferocious islanders. Upolu or Oyalava, Plate and Pola or Savai Islands, which with Rose Island form part of the Navigator or Samoan group, were passed almost as soon as they were sighted, and Kotzebue steered for the Radak Islands, where he had been so kindly received on his first voyage. This time, however, the natives were terrified at sight of the huge vessel, and piled up their canoes or fled into the interior, whilst on the beach a procession was formed, a number of islanders with palm branches in their hands advancing to meet the intruders and beg for peace. At this sight, Kotzebue flung himself into a boat with the surgeon Eschscholz, and rowing rapidly towards the shore, shouted, Todabu Aidara, Kotzebu, friend. An immediate change was the result. The petitions the natives were going to address to the Russians were converted into shouts and enthusiastic demonstrations of delight, some rushing forwards to welcome their friend, others running over to announce his arrival to their fellow countrymen. The commander was very pleased to find that Kadu was still living at Or, under the protection of La Marie, whose countenance he had secured at the price of half his wealth. Of all the animals left here by Kotzebue, the cats, now become wild alone, had survived, and thus far had not destroyed the legions of rats with which the island was overrun. The explorer remained several days with his friends, whom he entertained with dramatic representations, and on the 6th of May he made for the Legiep group, the examination of which he had left uncompleted on his last voyage. After surveying it, he intended to resume his exploration of the Radak Islands, but bad weather prevented this, and he had to set sail for Kamchatka. 
the crew here enjoyed the rest so fully earned from the seventh of june to the twentieth of july when kotzebue set sail for new archangel on the american coast where he cast anchor on the seventh of august the frigate which was here to take the place of the predpriatie was not however ready for sea until the first march of the following year and kotzebue turned the delay to account by visiting the sandwich islands where he cast anchor of Waihu in December 1824. The harbour of Honokuru, or Honolulu, is the safest of the archipelago. A good many vessels therefore put in there even at this early date, and the islands of Waihu bid fair to become the most important of the group, supplanting Hawaii or Ohii. The appearance of the town was already semi-European, stone houses replaced the primitive native huts, regular streets with shops, cafes, public houses, much patronized by the sailors of whalers and fur traders, together with a fortress provided with cannon, were the most noteworthy signs of the rapid transformation of the manners and customs of the natives fifty years had now elapsed since the discovery of most of the islands of oceania and everywhere changes had taken place as sudden as those in the sandwich islands the fur trade says desborough coolly carried on with the northwest coast of america has effected a wonderful revolution in the sandwich islands which from their situation offered an advantageous shelter for ships engaged in it among these islands the fur traders wintered refitted their vessels and replenished their stock of fresh provisions and as summer approached returned to complete their cargo on the coast of america iron tools and above all guns were eagerly sought for by the islanders in exchange for their provisions and the mercenary traders regardless of consequences readily gratified their desires firearms and ammunition being the most profitable stock to traffic with were supplied them in abundance here the sandwich islanders soon became formidable to their visitors they seized on several small vessels and displayed an energy tinctured at first with barbarity but indicating great capabilities of social improvement at this period one of those extraordinary characters which seldom fail to come forth when fate is charged with great events completed the revolution which had its origin in the impulse of europeans tame tame ha a chief who had made himself conspicuous during the last and unfortunate visit of cook to those islands usurped the authority of king subdued the neighboring islands with an army of sixteen thousand men and made his conquests subservient to his grand schemes of improvement he knew the superiority of europeans and was proud to imitate them already in seventeen ninety six when captain broughton visited those islands the usurper sent to ask him whether he should salute him with great guns he always kept Englishmen about him as ministers and advisers. In 1817 he is said to have had an army of 7,000 men, armed with muskets, among whom were at least 50 Europeans. 
Tame Ha, who began his career in blood and usurpation, lived to gain the sincere love and admiration of his subjects, who regarded him as more than human, and mourned his death with tears of warmer affection than often bedew the ashes of royalty. Such was the state of things when the Russian expedition put in at Waihu. The young king Rio Rio was in England with his wife, and the government of the archipelago was in the hands of the queen mother Kahu Manu. Kotzebue took advantage of the latter and of the first minister both being absent on a neighboring island to pay a visit to another wife of Kamehameha. The apartment, says the traveler, was furnished in the European fashion, with chairs, tables, and looking-glasses. In one corner stood an immensely large bed with silk curtains. The floor was covered with fine mats, and on these, in the middle of the room, lay Noma Hanna, extended on her stomach, her head turned towards the door, and her arms supported on a silk pillow. Nomahana, who appeared at the utmost not more than forty years old, was exactly six feet two inches high, and rather more than two ells in circumference. Her coal-black hair was neatly plaited, at the top of a head as round as a bowl. Her flat nose and thick projecting lips were certainly not very handsome, yet was her countenance on the whole prepossessing and agreeable. The good lady remembered having seen Kotzebue ten years before. She, therefore, received him graciously, but she could not speak of her husband without tears in her eyes, and her grief did not appear to be assumed. In order that the date of his death should be ever present to her mind, she had had the inscription 6th May, 1819, branded on her arm. A zealous Christian, like most of the population, the queen took Kotzebue to the church, a vast but simple building, not nearly so crowded as that at Otaheite. Nomahana seemed to be very intelligent. She knew how to read and was specially enthusiastic about writing, that art which connects us with the absent. Being anxious to give the commander a proof alike of her affection and of her acquirements, she sent him a letter by hand which it had taken her several weeks to concoct. The other ladies did not like to be outdone, and Kotzebue found himself overwhelmed with documents. The only means to check this epistolary inundation was to weigh anchor, which the captain did without loss of time. Before his departure he received Queen Nomahana on board. Her Majesty appeared in her robes of ceremony, consisting of a magnificent peach-coloured silk dress, embroidered with black, evidently originally made for a European, and consequently too tight and too short for its wearer. People could, therefore, see not only the feet, beside which those of Charlemagne would have looked like a Chinaman's, and which were cased in huge men's boots, but also a pair of fat, brown, naked legs resembling the balustrades of a terrace. A collar of red and yellow feathers, a garland of natural flowers serving as a gorget, and a hat of leghorn straw trimmed with artificial flowers completed this fine but absurd costume. Nomahana went over the ship, 
asking questions about everything and at last worn out with seeing so many wonders betook herself to the captain's cabin where a good collation was spread for her the queen flung herself upon a couch but the fragile article of furniture was unable to sustain so much majesty and gave way beneath the weight of a princess whose en bon point had doubtless had a good deal to do with her elevation to such high rank after this halt kotzebue returned to new archangel where he remained until the thirtieth of july eighteen twenty five he then paid another visit to the sandwich islands a short time after admiral byron had brought back the remains of the king and queen the archipelago was then at peace its prosperity was continually on the increase the influence of the missionaries was confirmed and the education of the young monarch was in the hands of missionary bingham the inhabitants were deeply touched by the honours accorded by the english to the remains of their sovereigns and the day seemed to be not far distant when european customs would completely supersede those of the natives some provisions having been embarked at waihu the explorer made for radak islands identified the pescadores forming the southern extremity of that chain discovered the Eschscholz group a short distance off and touched at guam on the fifteenth october on the twenty third january eighteen twenty six he left manila after a stay of some months during which constant intercourse with the natives had enabled him to add greatly to our knowledge of the geography and natural history of the philippine islands a new spanish governor had arrived with a large reinforcement of troops and had so completely crushed all agitation that the colonists had quite given up their scheme of separating themselves from spain on the tenth july eighteen twenty six the Pretpriatie returned to kronstadt after a voyage extending over three years during which she had visited the northwest coast of america the aleutian islands kamchatka and the sea of oktoksh surveyed minutely a great part of the radak islands and obtained fresh information on the changes through which the people of oceania were passing thanks to the ardor of chamiso and professor eschscholz many specimens of natural history had been collected and the latter published a description of more than two thousand animals as well as some curious details on the mode of formation of the coral islands in the south seas the english government had now resumed with eagerness the study of the tantalizing problem the solution of which had been sought so long in vain we allude to the finding of the northwest passage when parry by sea and franklin by land were trying to reach bering strait captain frederick william beechey received instructions to penetrate as far north as possible by way of the same strait so as to meet the other explorers who would doubtless arrive in a state of exhaustion from fatigue and privation End of section twenty two